0: Please turn with me in the Scriptures to Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians, chapter 5. Today we look at the precept of the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment is, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Years ago, I say hundreds of years ago, a printer made a horrible mistake and he left out the negative when he printed a a Bible and it read, Thou shalt commit adultery. He was fined, and this was back in the 1600s, 300 pounds. That was a huge amount in those days. But that's the Bible of This generation, isn't it? But the Bible, God's Word, still reads Thou shalt not commit adultery. But remember, for every precept of God's ten blessings, we have, for every prohibition, we have God's precept, and for every precept, we have. God's prohibitions. We read together the creation account of marriage, and Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter five a comment on um, the marriage account. You notice Moses gave a, a comment that he adds as he as he wrote the book of Genesis and wrote the first. Um, five books of the Bible, he makes a comment, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Well, Paul continues that thought uh, at the end of chapter 5 in, in Ephesians. But I'm going to begin with uh, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. So you see how the Lord shows the elevation of the truth of marriage as as He's now showing what was... Certainly uh, uh, mysteriously um, known unto him from the beginning that marriage is to be a, a, a visible gospel, a visible sermon about Christ's love for His church. That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Paul is not making up this illustration of the gospel. He's simply saying what has been built in from the very beginning, even a picture prophecy that marriages, godly marriages in the older testament as well as the new, should be reflections of Christ's relationship with the church. There could be certainly many titles to this message dealing with the precept of the sixth, of the seventh commandment, thou shalt commit chastity or even thou shalt commit chastity but certainly we need to see that this commandment is safeguarding marriage and purity marital and moral purity is being safeguarded and promoted facilitated with this commandment remember The wooden words are not limiting the thoughts of this commandment. It's not just a commandment to preserve those who are married in their relationship, but it's it's a command that preserves purity in every relationship. You say, well, what's wrong with impurity? Or what's wrong with, with breaches of the seventh commandment? Well, first of all, God is sovereign. If He says something is, is not to be done, we take it, even if we don't understand it. When the Lord said, don't eat from this tree, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we're not given all the information. Did Adam and Eve ask, well, was there something wrong with the fruit? Will we be poisoned if we drink if we eat the fruit? I suppose that questions may have been asked, but as far as we can tell, I know it's conjecture that that tree had no physical or visual problem with it that would cause you to uh, to uh, resist going for that. It was simply the word of God. He was just simply saying, "Don't do this," and it was a test of their love. People say, "Well, what a what a simple, what a a benign." Thing to cause the whole human race to fall. But you think about it, it was a simple test of their love, of their trust in God. Basically, he was saying, are you going to have me as your God and trust me that my word is true, is sovereign. And so the answer to what's wrong with adultery, what's wrong with all the sins against the seventh commandment, because God says they're wrong, and obviously, we can tell from history the propriety of it, the impurity of it, the filthiness of things, and even the safety, the, the health. The book of Proverbs says that people who live a lifestyle of filthiness may get a disease, and we know that it's so true today. Though people are trying to hide the stigma, monkeypox actually has started in a homosexual population in Africa and it is especially rampant like AIDS was in the beginning in the homosexual population but nonetheless um, we see that God has forbidden this but he has given the green light uh, to cause us to, to live pure lives there's no shortage of precepts of the seventh commandment Proverbs four twenty three, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know, why do you lock your door at night? They used to, people used to keep their doors unlocked, but why would someone lock their front door or all their doors in the house? Why would you lock your car door? Because there's something valuable inside. Why would we lock our hearts? Because our hearts are valuable. Out of it are the issues of life, and we are to lock out that which will cause pollution and damage to the soul, to the marriage, to the family, to the church, to this to society. Paul said to Timothy, things like, Keep thyself pure. Um, that's the precept. Glorify God in your body. Perfect holiness in the fear of God. Follow Righteousness with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. All these are texts that that give us the precept of the seventh commandment. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Be ye holy, for I am holy. There's not a shortage of precepts of the seventh commandment. We're living in a day when promiscuity is is uh, glamorized whether it be Hollywood or the neighborhood. Uh, adultery is not something, or fornication is not something that's, that's uh, an embarrassment anymore. It is something that it is, again, glamorized. And pe- Hollywood has to stick scenes in their films for people to uh, buy their tickets, stick scenes of promiscuity. The Bible teaches that we need to be pure, Not promiscuity, but purity. Last week you remember that the Bible speaks of adultery as the sin, the great sin. And arguably, people would say the sin of the 21st century in the church, even in the church, not just in the world, is a breach against the seventh commandment. Or what we would call pornography today, which is... uh, the the transliteration of the Greek term for fornication, porneia. But it's not just in the world. I was listening to a PCA, a Reformed Presbyterian minister that was coming upon his 25th anniversary as a minister. And he said he was just in his office the other day just trying to remember how many... How many counselees that he saw, has seen over the 25 years of his ministry, in his churches that he had to counsel because of adultery or immorality. And he said over 125 in just under 25 years. And You just average that out. What does that say? About four or five every single year. In his churches, not just people from outside his church. But again, like last week, we saw that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Psalms 32 and 51 are psalms dedicated to David thanking God for his, his forgiveness and repenting of his sin. But we need, as it were, to reverse the curse that's taking place in the church and in the world. Where we read in Ephesians 5, verse 3, Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints or holy ones, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. You know, people will say, well, the penalty was severe in the Old Testament. So, so serious was God about preserving marriage and purity that, that adultery was punishable by capital punishment, by execution. Though fornication wasn't, adultery was. Fornication is sin outside the marriage bonds. But people will say, well, notice the penalty has been lowered. Very rarely in the world today we have execution. But has it been lowered? Actually, it's been ratcheted up. What is the punishment of God for adultery? Is eternal death. We're told that adulterers shall have their part in the lake of fire which uh, the lake which burns with fire and brimstone so it is not merely capital punishment but eternal punishment it's a great sin but there's a great savior and a great virtue in reversing the curse paul said to the corinthians you have proved yourself to be clear in this matter dealing with incest in their case In the church, he said, You have revenged your disobedience. You've been careful to show a reverse of this pattern and acceptance in the church. And that's the blessing of the gospel that the Lord can reverse uh, each of us, no matter what sin may be dogging us and the sins that easily beset us. With God's grace and his power, we can who were impure become pure. Like he said to the Corinthians, such were some of you. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were fornicators. Some of you were effeminate. Some of you were were homosexuals. But now, you're washed. Not only just forgiven, but sanctified and justified. You're, you're now proving yourself to be clear and to be holy. And so, what a wonderful thing it is to not lick your wounds and just... Uh, live under a, a dark cloud of rain and storm, but now we can go forward. Three thoughts especially today about the precept to keep ourselves pure. First of all, the sacredness of matrimony, of marriage, will remind us that, that we need to be pure, that we need to guard, safeguard marriage. Why? Because it was a creation institution. It's, it's an institution that reflects the love of Christ for His church. It's a covenant relationship that, that strengthens the, the, uh, the love bond between a husband and a wife. It strengthens a family. This world is cursed by fatherless homes. There are multiple men who are committing adultery and fornication and there are so many fatherless homes in the world today. And may I say there are certainly many motherless homes because of the same reason, but certainly not as many as fatherless homes. But the Lord shows the special relationship of marriage there in Genesis. Remember, Adam's body was created out of the dust of the ground. And the Lord said, "It's of all the things He was saying at first, it's all good, but and very good. But when He when He looked at Adam, He says something's not very good, that you're alone. And it's interesting how He let Adam name the animals first, and just get acquainted with all the animals. Uh, and it's not that Adam was looking for a mate among the animals, but the point is He was seeing." Uh, the beauty and glory of God in creating all these animals, but He was—they—they they had partners, but He had no partner. And so He let him go through that exercise, and finally says, "It's not good that man should be alone." Adam found no, no mate among the animals, but He says, "I'm going to create a uh, make a helper fit for him." And the interesting thing is, you'd expect now the Lord to create Eve out of the dust of the ground. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that God created or made Eve's body out of Adam's rib. Not out of the dust of the ground. He was making a point that there's a unique relationship between a a husband and a wife. And it's to be shown that it's a relationship that God has has, uh, sanctified in the garden and he continues to sanctify it in the world. You see, in for instance, in Malachi 2, God made one pair, we believe it's saying, that he might seek a godly seed. Marriage is an institution that God uses to uh, promote the uh, the, uh, the line of the elect who are being saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it... it preserves a a wholesome family and a wholesome church and a wholesome community. It's a great mystery, but he says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so, like one man said, every marriage should be a, a sermon to those who are observing the, what love they have, what sacrifice, what selflessness, what purity and it's an ideal opportunity to give the gospel. Why do you love each other so why why are you so kind to each other? Why do you forgive each other? What is it that that makes you tick in your relationship and there is the gospel opportunity and in the church, the church should be full of godly marriages, and so everyone is seeing christ's love for the church and Obviously, it's attracting our hearts to Christ and His love and His faithfulness. Marriage is not merely a civil contract, though it is. The Bible teaches marriage is a covenant relationship, not merely a civil contract. When people think of something as a civil, well, oh, I can break that without, without any problem. It's just, it's just uh, as they would say, it's, it's just for propriety. It's just for practicality. But when I don't love him or her anymore and I, I don't have any financial interests, we, we've, we've both got our own bank account, there's no need. Well, if it's just a civil contract, then it can easily be broken. But God tells us in Proverbs 2.17 in Malachi chapter 2, that marriage is a covenant. In other words, it's a serious relationship. It should, it, it should, if it's broken, you're breaking something that's a strong bond. It's a covenant. And he's saying, I want to safeguard this relationship which is going to safeguard the family. And you and I know when when there's uh, problems in marriage and when divorces take place, we're not an island. No man lives or dies unto himself, we're told in in Romans 14. It affects the children's mental stability and their hearts. It affects the church. It affects society broken marriages broken homes lead to a broken society but the lord has told us that marriage is between a man and a woman it's the scripture it's god's word male and female and it's monogamous he frowned upon polygamy he permitted it but when we read it when we read about those who married several what do we read problems uh, occurred in the lives of people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all you have to read in David the problems of a polygamous relationship It was never meant to be. Jesus uh, reiterated the purpose of God the, the in Genesis when he said, A man ought to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh, not they three or four but they too. And, and we keep the precept of the seventh commandment by loving our spouses. Proverbs 5 describes love as intoxication. It's the same word. Be intoxicated with her love. Have legitimate children, not illegitimate in Proverbs. Let, let your own, you know drink water of your own cistern. And in, in the streets, your own water, in other words, is saying make sure you, 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 you remain married and your marriage will produce legitimate children, not illegitimate. Marriage is honorable and the bed undefiled. The only relationship where there can be intimacy is the marriage relationship. And the world scoffs at such bondage, they say. And, and yet, The Bible says whoremongers, which is the word fornicators, porneia, whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Not just adulterers, but those um, who have engaged in intimacy before marriage. We We need to uphold the mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And may I say that that those who enter into marriage determine not to have children it's, not if they, it's one thing if they can't are breaching the seventh commandment because uh, marital love should produce fruit, should produce children and it's a selfishness on the part of people who go into marriage. I know there are, there are ministers that will not perform the marriage of a couple if they determine not to have children because the Bible teaches that we're to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that was not just given to Israel, that was given to mankind. And so, every sin uh, breach of the seventh commandment relates to marriage, whether it's before marriage, during marriage, after marriage, even among widows. Widows were, were, were cautioned, or people were cautioned not to take advantage of widows and even instead of marriage, all the illicit wickedness. The sexual revolution is saying, it's my body. So this commandment is like the uh, the, the revulsion against the sixth commandment. It's my body so I can do what I want with the child within. And yet we all know that it's a different body. It's a different soul. It's a different person. Thou shalt not murder. But how they revolt against the seventh commandment. Who has the right to tell me what I want to do in my privacy? Who has the right to tell me what I'm going to do in my own bedroom with my own body? Well, may I say, God has the right. God's the one that gave us our lives, God's the one that gave us our bodies. He is the creator and the providential ruler, He's the king. The body is God's gift to us. And to the Christian especially, the Lord says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a great vice, therefore, to breach the seventh commandment as a believer, but a great virtue to preserve the marital bond and to preserve purity. Remember, brother and sister, our marriage is to be a gospel message to each other, to the church and to society, that Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. And may I say that a precept of the Seventh Commandment is one word too. M-A-R-R-Y. Mary. That is the precept. A precept of the Seventh Commandment. And so, the Seventh Commandment upholds marriage. Secondly, the seventh commandment encourages the practice of personal purity. The practice of personal purity. And again, we have so many precepts. It's God's will for us to keep ourselves pure. It's simply to love your neighbor and to to love your own soul to keep your soul pure. 1 Thessalonians says, We're to know how to possess our vessels in sanctification. Remember what Paul said to Titus. We're to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world as we look for the coming of the Lord Jesus. We're to love and not lust. We're to keep ourselves pure. We're to be very careful as we're out our eye our eye gate, our ear gates to make sure that we don't focus. remember Bob Jones senior said it's not that first look that's the sin. It's the second look it's that it's that second look that causes us to sin. you know as we as we live your, your eye is going to fall upon Impure people and impure ob- objects and impure uh, sayings and logos and but it's it's the fo- it's the ability by God's grace to bounce off those objects that would draw our hearts to sin against the Lord, and so we have to we have to renew our minds and think through the gospel and say, wait a minute, that person, somebody else's spouse. That person's somebody's daughter, somebody's son. That person's made in the image of God. And at the end of the day, it's God that I would not sin against. The Lord is, has told me not to do so. The Lord tells me that when I lust, I breach this commandment. And I need to look at people as made in God's image, as my neighbor to love and not to lust after. One who who is is created by God and so we fear God we fear chastening as believers and we fear hell as an unbeliever whoremongers and adulterers God will judge again never mind capital punishment which isn't applicable in our day it's eternal punishment they won't inherit the kingdom of God that's a positive way of saying they're going to hell if they die adulterers and fornicators so what are some key words about us practicing personal purity remember what what Micah said God requires us to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God so love and not lust and there is certainly a difference isn't there God, help us to understand what it means to love our neighbor and not lust after our neighbor. Fear of God and not casual, um, flippant behavior. There is a God in heaven who rules over men. We're all going to stand before Him. Thirdly, temperance. Self-control is a gift of the Spirit. We're to mortify the members of our bodies and Keep our body under lest, having uh, preached to others, we should become castaways. And so temperance involves being careful not to be drunk. Drunkenness is one of the uh, triggers to adultery and immorality. Gluttony, our forefathers reminded us, is also a trigger. It can lead to immorality. So we're to be temperate in our drink Temperate in our eating, for in many of these parties and these gluttonous uh, situations, not just drunkenness, but gluttony is involved. In anything that shows we are um, that we are intemperate, whatever it might be, people who who disregard their body regarding drink, regarding alcohol, regarding Marijuana, we're regarding drugs, regarding um, cigarettes, all those things can be triggers because we're we're uh, disregarding that which harms our body, and it just is 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 like something that gains momentum even into the moral realm. And our forefathers reminded us that even prolonged singleness is a breach of this commandment, and so. As Paul says, we need to be careful not burn with lust, but marry, and therefore we need to remind our sons and daughters to marry sooner than later as prolonged temperance, unless you have the gift of, of celibacy can be a can can easily be the devil's way in which to cause us to fall into adultery. But again, how the world glorifies adulterers and adulteresses i can remember when magic johnson got aids many years ago he made the statement i've I've accommodated as many as, as i could and i remember writing to the buffalo news that that you know everybody was applauding him for coming forward and and when he gave that excuse i said he is not honor honorable he is a he is a monument of shame is the way I put it in the paper and I remember I got all kinds of flack from that he's not an honorable man and I remember Wilt Chamberlain uh, talking about all his, all his uh, conquests and yet the man dies at 63 and if he died an adulterer and a fornicator he is now in hell forever and ever these are glamorized in the world and remember uh, talk show hosts guffawing about Wilt Chamberlain and all his conquests when they had him on uh, these shows. But the Lord says that whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Fourthly, Scripture, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not s- sin against thee. Scriptures are our concealed weapon, brother and sister. We need to have that ready, not just our, our concealed pistol. We have a, a spiritual pistol in the Bible that we need to keep ready, not just a shotgun with chapters or paragraphs uh, memorized. Have you memorized key verses? Key verses like, Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee." Le fornication? So when the devil's tempting you to look twice at an object, at a person, that you've got a ready pistol there. Keep thyself pure. Guard your heart with all diligence. So we've got verses. We've got bullets. We've got daggers ready for every temptation possible. Every one of us can memorize Scriptures. Tanya and I have been almost there with Psalm 103. And if an old man like I can can memorize Scripture, anybody can memorize Scripture. It's looking at it and just over and over and over again. It takes a little time, but just over and over again on verses, especially those those verses that are daggers and, and pistols. Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. Search the Scriptures. Memorize the Scriptures. The blessed man meditates day and night on the Word of the Lord. This is a huge one. Company. Proverbs tells us, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, Evil companions corrupt good manners. It's huge. We are like our friends. The birds of a feather flock together. But it's not simply that. It's it's someone who's not yet a bird of that feather that is worn, for instance, in Proverbs in a different context. In Proverbs 22, it says, make no friendship with an angry man. And the idea is you're going to become an angry person if you, if you frequent with angry people. And if we frequent with drunkards, we frequent with, with those who are on drugs, we frequent with those who are adulterers or fornicators, it's going to affect us. Now, like Paul said, it's not that you have to altogether um, separate yourself from them. He says then you have to go out of the world. But he says if a person's a professing believer and he's an adulterer and so on, then not even to eat with them. But we have to be careful. Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. But He wasn't a companion with them. He was a witness to them. And you and I know when it's becoming no longer that we're affecting them, but they're affecting us. Follow righteousness. Listen to what the Scripture says. Follow righteousness with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, He's saying, make sure that your friends, your companions, are those that... Are those who pray, those who have pure hearts. Those are your best friends. Those are to be your friends that you frequent with. It's iron then, sharpening iron. And of course, the church, how Paul, how this relates, Paul says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting each other. When we come together publicly, we exhort each other. We we train each other. We're accountable to each other. We, we encourage each other how to remain pure, how to resist temptation. What is your strategy? What has helped you? So it's very important that we continue steadfastly, certainly mainly in our worship of God, but just being together. We are iron, sharpening iron. And so your company... Our company is very important. What is our company on a regular basis? Who are our best friends? Are they people that are of the world? Lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Or are they God's people? Sons and daughters of the Lord. Next, beware of language. Make sure that no corrupt or filthy communication proceeds out of our mouths, with that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. The Bible has much to say about our speech. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Do we get the point that our, our language and our language is so important that we that we are temperate, that we're chaste and pure versus filthy jokes and jesting, as Paul warns. Be careful, therefore, where do we pick up profane language? We pick it up in the blasphemy and profanity of movies, of TV shows, again, of of frequenting with these kinds of folks in the world that that are filthy talkers and filthy dreamers. It's interesting how Paul says that a key to having pure language and pure uh, speech is to speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's amazing how your songs, your lyrics, and the tunes—even how it affects our our language. The way we think, I can still remember Billy Joel's song "The Only the Good Die Young and I used to sing that to myself and think how how good that was. what's he saying I'd rather I'd rather die with a sinner than live with a saint. Are you kidding me that's that's in your face to the Bible, in your face to Christianity. and was it John Lennon that said? Jesus Christ will, I, I'm more popular than Jesus Christ, that Christianity will be done with uh, in, it sooner or later. He got a lot of flack from that and somewhat apologized. But this is the kind of thing, if we, if we, if our diet are the beetles or the monkeys or Aerosmith or all these different, or just, and you talk about out there, but Christian, so called Christian, Uh, Lyrics focusing on self and even the flesh and all the gyrations that even so-called Christian musicians show on the stage. It affects us. The pleasure crazes of the world. Be careful about your music. It's It's not just rock music and its immorality. Country music and its stress on affairs outside of marriage, lewd dancing, drinking parties, drugs, movies, alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, all these things can be triggers. Beware of the pleasure crazes of the world. Let us be holy people. Let us listen to, to godly music. Let us, let us frequent godly gatherings of God's people. Let us be careful when we are interacting at, at gatherings among relatives and friends, that we aren't polluted, that we, if we're to, if we're to attend out of respect, to be light and salt. You know, a, very, a key to keeping this commandment to be pure is work. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. The seventh day is is, is Sabbath of the Lord your God. How is it that work is important to keep pure? Well, you've heard that adage, haven't we? Idleness is the devil's workshop. I think it's true, a true conclusion to what happened with David. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 11 when kings go forth to war, David stayed home. It's not that David was injured. It's not that David was too old to go to battle. So, Samuel is giving us a commentary. He's telling us this is what precipitated David. If he'd have been at war, he wouldn't have been on his roof at that point looking at the woman that was bathing. Now was it you say it's was it her fault to bathe on a roof? Well, maybe that's where people bathe. I don't know. But the point is David should have been working. He should have been out at work. The Bible talks about people who our busy bodies. It's an inter- interesting thought. It's the word work, work around. So Paul says in Thessalonians, we ought people ought not to be lazy and loafers and beg beggars if they can work. They're to be working but not working around. The word busybody is the word busy work body, but it's work around. It's like it's like it says in another passage in for instance, the, the, the adulteress, her feet abide not in her house. In other words, when she should be taking care of the, of, the, of the homestead, when she should be working at home, for instance, she just is always wanting to be out, always wanting to be away from being busy. And it says it's not just of women, but silly women going about from house to house instead of taking care of their own house. They're going about slandering and gossiping and getting into other people's business. The Bible tells us that you and I are to work by the sweat of our faces, to be busy. You see, the devil's always looking for a busybody. He's always looking for someone that won't work, that's lazy. He knows that he has a victim. May I warn us about the Internet? Pornography and websites and the vanity of the internet, the vanity of the, of the, what do you call it, the the vanity of the selfie they call it today. So many selfies. It's it's just, it's just the, the, uh, the idea that it's all about me. It's me, myself, and I. Let us be careful, because the devil easily captures us. Do our parents, do we know what our children are, are uh, clicking to, are, are, are surfing on their phones, on the computers? Do we fear God and remember the words, the, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good? That God is looking over my shoulder when I'm on the computer? God is looking over the shoulder when I have my cell phone? God is looking over the sh- over my shoulder at all times. Let us fear the Lord. Let us be careful to, to surf godly sites, to be, to be guarding our hearts as we look on the internet and use our, our uh, cell phones. Repentance, thank God, is, is a way in which we keep ourselves pure. If we have fallen... The righteous man falleth seven times and rises up again. 1 Corinthians 6, Such were some of you, but now, however, now you're washed. 2 Corinthians 7, You sorrowed to repentance. 2 Corinthians 12, To repent of your uncleanness and lasciviousness and fornication that you've committed. To be able to say like David, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness." Blot out my transgressions. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You and I need daily repentance. Daily faith in the Lord. Constantly having our hearts clean. You know, we take showers daily, don't we? Do you shower and wash and bathe your heart, your mind, and your soul in the blood of the Lamb? Let us plunge into the fountain open for sin and uncleanness. How refreshing, isn't it, to, to dive into a, 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 a clear, clean body of water, whether it be a pool or a pond. Oh, brother and sister, our souls need to dive into the, the pond, into the fountain open for sin and uncleanness, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we are to safeguard marriage. We are to maintain personal purity. But let us remember that text. Thirdly, we are a brother's keeper. We're to facilitate our own neighbor's chastity. It's not that we're an island again. No man liveth unto himself. Well, we say we're not bothering anyone else. It's what's private and behind closed doors. But we all know what immorality does to our children. How It brings insecurity. It, it, they, they, begin, they will imitate us, but by the grace of God. And how often we find that our children commit the same things that we might commit. And we need to pray that we would see that we're to love our neighbors ourselves. This, this is the motivation for the seventh commandment, for all the last six commandments. It's not just love yourself. It's love your neighbor. And so, it's saying, don't commit adultery. Love your neighbor. Love your wife. Love your husband. Don't commit fornication. Love that person's father. Love that person. Love that person's brother and sister. And it's, 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 real, it's, it's unselfishness to keep this commandment. It's facilitation of our neighbor's chastity. We are brother's keeper. Yes, Cain. Abel deserved to have a wife and children and a family and a long life. And you cut off your brother because of your selfishness and your wickedness. And we say the same thing. That person deserves to be a virgin when they get married. That person deserves to be holy, to have a holy marriage. And so they have no regrets and no stains upon their lives. Romans 14:21 warns against causing a brother to stumble or to be offended. First John 2 to love our brothers being careful not to cause him to stumble. First Corinthians 8 take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. And we're all weak. Are we not at the end of the day we can all fall? We don't look down our nose at someone who's fallen, where we all know how often we have fallen in our hearts. Or even to look upon a woman to lust is to commit adultery. But how are we to facilitate our neighbor's chastity? Well, all the previous things I talked about are personal purity. Let's be careful that our language doesn't pollute someone's mind and heart. That we're not a company that affects them negatively that our music that our movies that our internet that our pictures that our provisions for them do not cause them to stumble but a main thing is modesty seductiveness is something that the bible warns against in proverbs 7 it was the woman with the attire notice of a harlot it was her it was her Dress. it was her seductiveness. Now we all know there is a seductiveness that may not be immodest. The Bible talks about women that were prancing and with and, and, and in the Bible for instance Jezebel painted her face. Now the Bible is not saying that it's wrong to paint your face but the point was that she was trying to she when she painted her face she was trying to keep Jehu, from doing damage to her. She was trying to attract him in a, in a seductive way by her paint and not necessarily by her dress. Believe it or not, Jezebel could have been a very, may have been a very attractive woman, by the way. But seductive is not always immodest. But the Bible talks about women having modest apparel. First Timothy nine. May I say that the same applies to men? Men can have seductive ways in which to dress or in which to act. So we are to be careful to avoid immodest nests, may I say. Crowded beaches. Certain aisles of stores. Even these cruises, we have to be very careful. These cruises can be just nests of immodesty. Certain sites on the internet, parties that turn into a drunken debauchery. The Lord tells us to flee youthful lusts, to flee fornication. There are sometimes you just need to get out when you find yourself in a situation that is is. Uh, a temptation, or is too strong. Joseph left his garment when she pulled it from him. He didn't sit down and reason with Potiphar's wife at that point. She she grabbed his his robe, and it detached from him. And instead of saying, "Now listen, now let's 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 reason about this," he got out. He knew that to stay there was just too much of a temptation. And he was risking what happened, risking uh, false slander or slander against him rather than remain in a situation that would have been too strong for his heart. And so there are times we just flee or drive. We know there's a certain billboard. We just drive a couple miles out of the way to go around it. Or there's a certain store we know that aisle. We know that aisle has all kinds of magazines and pictures that draw my heart. And go away from that aisle. Don't ever go down the aisle. I know people that will turn those magazines at the at the uh, uh, registers at the checkout. They'll turn around. I wonder. I always wonder what people think who have to put those magazines in if they ever relate to it. I don't think that they're saying to themselves, how do these things just happen to turn around? They have to be stung in their heart that they're actually people that still are pure in this world and care for their children. And of course, the love of money and the love of pleasure, scenes and the means, are ways in which we can fall. We need to be very careful with the use of our money and the opportunities we might provide pleasure for people that it's not a snare to them. We are to preserve our neighbor's chastity in all ways as possible. To preserve their eye gate and their ear gate and their heart gate. Thank God the Gospel prevails. Jesus saves us from our sins, but He also leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. In First John Those who are born of God, it says, are known for doing righteousness. Not just not committing sin, but doing righteousness. Walking in the light. Being pure. Not loving the world and the things that are in the world, but loving the Lord and and holiness. Doing justly. Loving mercy. Walking humbly with God. Remembering every single day that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. Praying every day, Lord, help me to revenge all my disobedience with obedience to You. Lord, teach me to do Thy will. Keep me from sin. Remember the woman that got saved and she said she was so concerned about pleasing the Lord. She says, I don't want to live another day. I'm afraid of sinning against God. But the Lord says, look, I can handle that. Like He said to the woman caught in adultery. You remember? Where are your accusers? Has anyone condemned you? And what does He say to her? Neither do I condemn you. But notice what the last words were. What does He say to her? Go and sin no more. Now He gave the prohibition. Go and, and commit adultery no more. But what does he say? Go and I give you the power to live a holy and pure life from now on. And you and I can only guess, and and I think we have an educated guess, that that woman lived a holy life by the grace of God for as long as the Lord gave to her. That she was able to say, I was once an adulteress. Now I'm holy. Now I'm pure. The blood of Jesus has washed me from my sins. Thank God that the gospel succeeds. The power of God unto salvation.